Thank you, Paul. Hey, good morning. Um, just like Paul said, my name is Adam. Um, I work for a church called Colonial Presbyterian Church, and we found that with the name of Colonial, we have like two strikes against us. Number one, it's Colonial, which gives you like feelings of old people and old times, and even what we found is like is racism. Um, and then we have Presbyterian, which maybe not the racism part, but all the other parts too. Um, and, and so... So part of, of my uh, job when coming to colleges and everything is, is kind of talking about how we are um, just a, a younger, um, exciting, vibrant church. We have two campuses. The top one is our South KC campus. And as you notice, that's how we get um, the colonial name. It's a colonial brick style. Our bottom one is our Overland Park um, campus. And, and just God's doing some cool things. Uh, with our, especially our original South KC campus, the neighborhood has, has changed. Uh, it's gotten uh, more diverse. It's gotten um, just kind of, unfortunately, through like white flight, uh, more uh, minorities have moved in. And we've kind of taken the call to be a neighborhood church. And so, so working in student ministries, we have the opportunity to kind of mold these two cultures these two, um, these multi-races together as one campus is made up of um, predominantly a lot of uh, lower income uh, urban students and another campus is made up of typically more white affluent suburban kids. And I tell you all this to tell you that uh, we do a summer internship program called Summer Staff um, and we hire anywhere from 16 to 20 students to come and do ministry um, in the Kansas City area. Like Paul said, this has been going on for over 50 years. It started in 1971 with, uh, or 1970 with uh, um, just our youth, original youth pastor and some students. They decided, like, let's spend the summer studying scripture, living together in community, and serving uh, the neighborhoods. And so from that, summer staff was born in, or was, was birthed, and it's been going on uh, for, for over 50 years. And Time and time again, we've had students from all over the country, um, even students from, uh, we had some exchange students from Malawi uh, that are coming back this summer, um, but just talk about how, what a life-changing experience it is, the best summer of their lives. And our kind of, we kind of roll some quotes and, and stuff from summer staffers, but, but uh, if you're looking for a, a ministry opportunity this summer, if you don't have anything yet, you haven't signed up for, you haven't, you're not doing a camp or anything, we'd love, I'd love to talk to you. I'll be at the, outside the cafeteria. Uh, after chapel and whatnot, and so we'd just love to give you some more information. Um, and kind of our, our, our uh, motto for Summer Staff, our, our vision, is that we want to, to make disciples who make disciples. And so our mornings are spent uh, discipling college students and what we say, what we call pouring into you as college students. And then the afternoons are spent with you as a college student going out and pouring out into uh, high school, middle school students um, around the KC area and everything. And so it's a wonderful experience. And like I said before, if you have any interest, you know, hit me up after chapel or uh, I'll be in the cafeteria and we can talk more about it. Um, and so that's my, that's my little plug and everything. But what I really want to talk to you guys about is have you, have you ever had a time when um, the reality of what you thought a situation would be or experience would be did not meet, or the, the expectations of that situation did not meet up with the reality of what it turned out to be. You guys know what I'm talking about? So, so these expectations, whether it's a, a date or a game 
or uh, uh, a weekend, you have these expectations of how great and wonderful it's going to be. And then the reality hits, and sometimes it hits like a hammer, and it crushes all those expectations. I remember distinctly, I was in third grade, um, and in third grade, I'm a little bit older than you guys, and so I don't know if you know, but there was this, this show, I was a child of the 80s, and there was a show called The A-Team, and The A-Team was like the total, like, kids, like, they had explosions and gunshots, nobody ever got killed because he was on TV and everything, but um, The A-Team was like the, the coolest, like, I wanted to be on The A-Team, and there was this one dude on The A-Team named B.A. Baracus, and if you don't know who B.A. Baracus is, you probably may know a guy by the name of Mr. T. And Mr. T had, he was known for, he was this, this, this like swole up black dude, and he would wear cut off shirts, and he had a beard, um, which I can still emulate, but he also had, which I can't emulate anymore, he had this cool mohawk, it was like the trifecta mohawk. There was like one big long typical mohawk, but then he had these two like sideburn type mohawks on the side. And so in third grade, I decided I was going to be like B.A. Baracus, and I convinced my mom somehow to let me get my hair cut just like B.A. And so I had, I had the, the top and the, the little mini ones on the side, and I thought, like, I'm going to walk into school, I'm going to walk into class, and, like, kids aren't going to mess with me. They're going to, like, stand out of my way because I'm, I'm Mr. T. I'm B.A. Baracus and everything. I didn't have the cutoff shirts or the... the uh, yeah, he had like dangly earrings and gold chains and everything. We, my mom wouldn't let me go that far. So I first day with my new haircut, first Monday, walking into class, and I'm strolling in, you know, thinking like, like you know, nobody's going to want to mess with me. And you guys know what happened, right? Like it, it went from, from kids not wanting to mess with me to kids just, just you know, just poking fun, laughing at me. You know, just la um, my expectations were totally shattered by the reality of that day. I was not the coolest. I was not the strongest. I was the fool that everybody laughed at. And so sometimes we have these, these moments. Um, there's, a, there's a movie called uh, 500 Days of Summer. It came out like 11 years ago. It stars... Joseph Gordon-Levitt, he was Robin in uh, the Dark Knight uh, franchise. Um, and uh, Zoe Deschanel, uh, she was, if you're an Elf fan, she's kind of, she was the girl, the love interest in Elf. And it kind of, it, it, it's your basic story of the boy meets girl, boy falls in love with girl, but then girl dumps boy, and the boy kind of idealizes and yearns um, for, to get her back. And there, there's a scene in which uh, they're, they're broken up, and she has invited him to a, to a kind of a party, a patio party at her house, and he has this kind of anticipation of seeing and winning this girl back, um, but it doesn't quite happen that way. So you can feel the pain, the disappointment of, of Tom's expectations not meeting with the reality of the situation. And so the question is like, I'm, I'm sure you guys have felt that before, right? We, uh, we this year, um, we chose, just like you guys, we chose kind of this, this book, this um, Lamentations, to kind of signify like what to give words so like a lot of us are going through, especially in the year of COVID. 
For our, for our students, um, this month marks the time, the first time that they have all been able to go back to school full time. And so many of them are, are kind of mourning the loss of, of sports, of, of dances, of just social interaction with friends. And so there's times we've just experienced the pain of like, hey, this is not the way that this should end up. Life is not turning out the way that I thought it would be. And so there's this, this, this part of us, this, um, this sense in us that, that this is not right. This is not what my reality should be. We long for, for a world of, of love and of, of peace and of, of justice. And that's our expectation. But oftentimes we experience the, the brokenness and the pain and, and the suffering of reality. And so the, the great thing is, is God is a God that, that speaks into every situation and moment of our lives. And, and sometimes we just forget about the painful, the suffering part, and we look to God in the times of, of hope, in the times of, of happiness and of joy. And whatnot. And there's an Old Testament, this, this book in the Old Testament called Lamentations. It's, it's often overlooked. It's often overlooked because who wants to read a book called Lamentations? That's not a, a very fun title. And it's a sad book. It's a, it's a book, um, as, you, as you open it up and as you, as you read it, it's, it's this book of, of expressing sorrow and mourning and regret. It's, it's a poem, actually. It's like if, if a teenager were to, um, that, that's gotten his heart broken, were to go into a room and, and write the saddest song ever, that's what's happening here in Lamentations, except times like a million. And so in this book that God has given us so that we can have a place to go in our, in our grief and our sorrow and our suffering in the times when, when, when life hasn't turned out like we wanted to, like we thought it would, we have the prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, as a prophet, the prophet's job is to warn people about God's impending judgment. It's to warn Israel about if, if you do not turn away, if we do not repent, if we keep going this way, then God is going to judge us. And whatever, what's been going so well and so good is not going to go good anymore. And so despite all the warnings, despite everything that Jeremiah said, Israel keeps turning away from God. And in that, the army, the, 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 um, the army of Babylon comes and they lay siege to the city of Jerusalem, the capital city. Now, now Jerusalem um, is, is fortified with these strong, powerful walls. And so it's, easy, it's, it's a, a place that's easily def defended. It's de easily defendable. But little military tactic or military warfare um, from back then is if you came ac across a city and you can't get in the walls, well, you just make it so the people can't get out of the wall. And that's what, uh, being, that's what siege is all about. And so, so Babylon kind of surrounds, they make a perimeter around these walls, and they start starving Jerusalem, and so that they become weak. And this goes on for, for months and for a year, and 
soon the weakest of Israel have died and the strongest have been weakened from lack of, of nutrition, lack of nourishment, lack of food, lack of water and everything. And so in that moment, Babylon, they um, break through the wall. They ransack the whole town, the whole city. They destroy the temple, Israel's place of, of, of worship, the place where God w- resided. And they take off all the most capable men to fight in the Babylon army. And it's in this, this um, wasteland, this kind of total devastation, that the prophet Jeremiah sits and he starts the book of Lamentations like this. He says, How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she, who once was great among the nations. And so it's not a real, a real happy start, right? There's a reason why we kind of bypass this book. And, and I know a lot of times, at least in, in Christian culture, a lot of times we like to kind of give these, these um, when somebody's going through something, we like to give these very surface level, very um, just almost insincere kind of quips to, to help brighten, brighten them up of like, you know, if there's a death, it's like, well, they're in a better place now. Or if, if we're not in Christian culture or um, if we're, we didn't grow up in the church, you know, there's this thing of, of when we see people down, we try to cheer them up. We try to say, like, you know, it will get better. Like, look on the bright side. Every cloud has a silver lining. And the truth is, a lot of times when we are in this place of, of despair, we don't want a, a quip. We don't want somebody to make us feel better. We want somebody that relates to us. And that's why God gives us the book of Lamentations. So the um, Pastor Colin Smith, uh, he's in a whole series on Lamentations. He calls this a drama in four acts. And so we're going to go kind of quickly through um, these four acts and kind of talk about these four themes in Lamentations. And so act one, we have tears and talk. And in verse 16 of of chapter 1, it says, This is why I weep, and my eyes overflow with tears. No one is near to comfort me, no one to restore my spirit. My children are destitute because the enemy has prevailed. Like I said before, we, we try to make people feel better a lot of times when they're in a sad place. I can remember, um, Distinctly, when I was in high school and uh, some buddies of mine and I, our, our first friend got his license and got his car. And so we decided, like, let's do what, what just seems natural and rational. Let's take it um, for, like, laps around this church parking lot and see who can get the fastest lap time. Not a smart move on our part. Um, we got to our last friend, um, Tony. And Tony was kind of the, the reckless one of our group. And, and, and the rest of us, we, we were taking it pretty easy. Tony decided he, like he was going to beat everybody's time. And so, so Tony is, if you've ever seen somebody overcorrect, like this is, this is Tony. Like Tony is, is taking these curves. He's swerving and then overcorrecting and everything. And I'm in the passenger seat, and I just, I'm scared for my life. And as we get to the last curve, Tony turns it. 
he overcorrects, and instead of staying on the circle drive, we head straight for this tree and ram right into it. Tony's not the owner of this car. It's, our, it's my friend Alvin. And so, so Alvin, we get his car. Luckily, it runs, but it has this huge dent, all these scratches, and we have to go and, and, and tell his, his mom. And so Alvin calls his mom, and, and she, like, is laying. I can hear it over the phone. Like, she is laying into it. She's saying words that I didn't think, like, mothers knew and, and just um, giving him hell. And Alvin hangs up the phone, and we're just like stunned silence. And Alvin starts to weep. He starts to cry. Like his new car, his, his, he's let his, his, his parents down and everything. And the rest of us as high school guys, it's like, this is like the weirdest experience. We don't cry in front of each other or anything. And you could just tell the tension and the uneasiness like we all felt as we just kind of like almost backed away from Alvin like he had a disease and kind of were like, okay, buddy, it's, it'll be okay. And we left. Now fast forward to, I'm in college. I'm actually, I'm out of college. I'm, I'm working back at home in Topeka. Um, I was dating a girl um, in Kansas City, and I had, I had to work the next morning. But, I mean, you know, when you're with your girl, like, like I'm just, time is, is, is going and going. And, and it finally got, like, late and there's a storm rolling in, and I have to drive back. And so as I'm driving back, um, hydroplane, ran my car into, the, into a guardrail. Um, my friend, my same friend Alvin, comes, picks me up, drives me home. And I call my girl the next day, and I tell her, like, I got in this wreck. And in her sympathy and compassion, she says, well... This might be for the best because my parents and I were talking and they just don't think it's good for us to, to date anymore. And since you don't have a car to come up anymore, like, like maybe this is like for the best. And I go to work with a crashed car, with a wrecked car and a wrecked relationship. And I'm like a zombie. And one of my coworkers finally is like, hey, man, are you okay? And I just lost it. Like the tears started coming, and then it wasn't a happy, it wasn't like a good cry. It was like one of those like, you know, oh, just like from the pit of your gut, just ugly cries. And this guy being more mature, being older, he just kind of came up to me and he's put his arm around me, and he just let me cry. And so the book of Lamentations is that friend, that friend that puts their arm around you and just lets you cry. Brene Brown, um, she has this quote. She talks about the difference between sympathy and empathy. He says, when you're in the pit of despair, when you're deep down in the hole, well, sympathy, sympathy kind of stands up above the hole. You're like, oh, man, it looks, it looks bad down there. I'm sorry you're in that hole. That looks like a like a tough, tough time. But empathy, empathy crawls down into the hole with you. And it just holds you in that hole. And that's what God is doing. I don't know how I'm going to get back up here. 
Oh, yeah, there are stairs. Thank you. Thank you very much. I was going to jump, and I was like, this is going to end one of two ways. Like, I could be like, hey, at 44, I can still do this. Or, hey, at 44, I didn't make it. Um, And so God gives us this book that shares in our tears and gives us even words to express the sadness and the sorrow that we can feel. The second act is um, what Colin Smith calls guilt and grievance. And in, in Lamentations 12 or 112, it says, Is it nothing to you, all of you who pass by? Look around and see, and it is any suffering like my suffering that was afflicted on me, that the Lord brought on me in the day of his fierce anger. And further on in chapter 2, the Lord is an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all her palaces and destroyed her strongholds. He has multiplied mourning and lamentation for daughter Judah. Israel experienced the guilt of their, their sin, that they have turned away from God, and they're experiencing God's judgment. The guilt is on them, and this is God's punishment. This is God's wrath. And sometimes we have to admit to ourselves when, when the reality of our situation does not meet our expectations, sometimes it's from our own actions. It's from the things that we have done that have led to this. And we need to take responsibility for this. But here's the great thing about God, right, is, is I believe that Scripture has everything we need for every part of our lives. And so there is another book about suffering. There's another book called the book of Job, and Job is about this man who was righteous. It starts out with Job was an upright and righteous man. So Job isn't being judged for his sin. Job has all these calamities come upon him. He loses his house. He loses his children. He loses his um, livestock, his livelihood. He is boils and, and festering pus is oozing from his skin. And it says in all of this, Job did not sin because his wife comes to him and says, are you still holding on to your faith? Curse God and die. And Job says, no, I will not do that. And so Job is a righteous man, and all this calamity comes upon him, not from his own actions, but it's, it's Satan testing Job. It's God allowing Satan to test Job to see if he will still stay righteous. And so not everything is because of our own doing. COVID wasn't any of us. When somebody dies in your family, it's not God cursing you. And so we have this balance of like, of the, sometimes we still feel that guilt. Is this something that I did? And so we have to wrestle through that. We have to wrestle through, is this, is this a part of, of my actions? Or is this just kind of the result of, of sin and brokenness in the world? But the great thing, as we can see in in this chapter 2, is um, the Lord is like an enemy. How many times have you talked about God or heard a pastor, heard a prophet say, like, the Lord is like an enemy? That doesn't seem like good church, good Christian talk. But the truth is, that God is a God that can handle our grievances. He can handle our accusations. And so Jeremiah, this man who, who has been warning Israel's people, 
is standing there accusing God and saying, you are like, the Lord is like an enemy. He has swallowed us up. Sometimes we feel like we gotta, we, when things are going bad, the Christian thing to do is to put on a happy face and act like everything's okay because that's what God would want. But Jeremiah, God doesn't come to Jeremiah and say, like, why are you calling me an enemy? Why are you saying I'm like an enemy? God can handle our grievances. God can handle our anger. God can handle us yelling and screaming and saying, why is this happening to me, God? Because God knows our hearts. We can't talk behind God's back. Further on in um, Lamentations, we have this brief moment of hope and healing. It even starts out, it doesn't start out very hopeful. It says, Jeremiah says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. In the midst of despair, in the midst of all this, this heartache, Jeremiah still finds hope. I want you to notice, he's not saying that one day, as Christians, we, we point to there will be a day when all that is wrong will be made right when Christ returns and establishes a new heaven and a new earth. But Jeremiah is not pointing to that. He's not saying my hope is in one day. He's saying my hope is in each day. I remember that the Lord is enough for me. Each day, the Lord will renew me in his goodness and his steadfastness. And so, a lot of times, it's our, our history, our experience with someone that lets us know that they'll be, be there for us in the very, very hard times. Sometimes something small happens and, and friends, like, you can tell like who your real friends are, especially like, you know, there's an old saying, like, if you want to know who your friends are, just ask them to help you move, right? And so the ones that are there, like, they're, 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 they're with you for, for thick and thin. We had a friend in our, in our we had a couple in our small group, um, and, and we try to, with small groups, uh, and, and I don't know if you guys do small groups here or, or somewhat, nope. Then never mind. I'm going to skip that analogy. No. Uh, small groups are a tricky thing, like, because you want to, the idea is like, hey, we want to build community and we want it to be authentic and everything. But then, especially when you have kids and everything, people are busy. And so you have like your um, full timers and then you've got your part timers and everything. And so we were in this small group and there were people, there were a few of us that were just like committed every Sunday. We, were, we would meet together. We would eat together, and we would, we would study and pray and everything. And, and then there were people that would be come in and, and come out and everything. And, and those people are, like, usually more popular, and so they're, like, fun to have in the small group. And, and so I love having them. But one of the couples, they were pregnant with twins, and they found out that they, 
They lost the twins. But the, the twins um, had grown enough where she was going to have to deliver stillborn. And so the night before her delivery, they invited us. That, that had been, We had been meeting weekly together. They invited us over to their house, and, and we ate, and we, we did some worship, and we just prayed. We didn't pray happy prayers. We, we prayed, and we cried, and we lamented with these friends. And in that, that goodness of, of the continued relationship that we had had before, those friends knew, that, that couple knew that we would be there for them in the hard times. That's the same way it is with, with God. Sometimes our experiences with God is, is just kind of like, like chapel or Sunday morning. And maybe we have a relationship with God where it's like, yeah, I believe in you, God, and I, and I, and I, you know, I would consider myself a Christian. This is the way I grew up. And so because of that, I'll, I'll do this. I'll go to a Christian college or whatnot. But, you know, I'm, I'm still going to have, still got to watch my Netflix, you know. I'm still going to have, have schools just tough and everything. And, and so I'll give you these times, but I'm, but I'm not going to let you into these, these other times. And we don't even say that consciously. I never said that consciously. That just was the reality of my life. Sometimes we're like, I, I hear this God, and I hear about him at chapel and everything, but I don't really know if I believe him or not. Our experience with God in the, in the good times or just like the, the middle times will reflect our experience with God in the deep, hurtful times. And so Jeremiah is able to say that I have hope in the steadfast, the the um the great love and compassion that never fails from the Lord. He's able to say that because he has seen time and time again that God has been there for him. And the great thing is, like, if that's not you, if you haven't experienced that, like, it only takes that first step of trust to start building that relationship, to see that the Lord can and will be and is your portion Day after day after day. Finally, the, the Act 4, Lamentation, closes with this, this. Everything has kind of been an I, kind of Jeremiah the prophet, speaking. And in, in chapter 5, it kind of breaks from this, this I and me into to us and we and our and so the, chapter 5 starts out with, Remember, O Lord, what has befallen, and see our disgrace. The community of Israel is now crying out to God in these, these corporate prayers and praise. And that's why it's so great for, for God to, to have, to give us the community, the fellowship of fellow believers to come alongside of us and to corporately, like we got the chance to do with our friends, to cry out to God together in prayer and praise. The great thing about Lamentations is it, is it takes all of our experiences, all our hurts, all our despairs, and it gives words and emotions and, and um, 
expressions. But it also points to the incompleteness of, of it all. The Lamentations actually end, ends with this corporate prayer of restore us, O God. And there's this, this last line. I, I, this, is, this is a talk I've given to our students, and I didn't include it with our students. Um, and so I didn't include it here, but I think it's, I think it's very telling of um, remember us, O Lord, um, and restore us. And then it's kind of like this, unless you are utterly angry with us and have forgotten us. There's this question that it ends with. And I believe it ends with that question because later on in Scripture, an answer is given. The answer is given in in the life and the death and the resurrection of, of God himself, Jesus, coming to earth and being the completion of this book. The great thing is on, in all of these acts that we've gone through is Jesus experiences them and he answers them in his own life, in his own death, in his own resurrection. One of my favorite stories is when Jesus is at the tomb of Lazarus and Jesus knows he is about to raise this man from the dead and yet the smallest verse, the shortest verse in the Bible, it's usually the one that every, one of the ones everybody knows is simply Jesus wept. It's amazing to me that that Jesus, knowing what's about to happen, knowing that Lazarus is going to be raised from the dead, that Jesus' power is going to be displayed, he still is so overcome and filled with emotion that he cries over the death of his friend. Jesus, God, experiences our despair. He experiences our pain. He knows what it's like. When Jesus was on the cross... Jesus cries out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is challenging his father on the cross because all of the guilt of our sin and humanity is upon his shoulders in that moment. Jesus takes away our guilt and our pain. He takes away that question of, is God judging me? Is God cursing me? Because we know that in Christ, when we give our lives to him, Jesus takes away that guilt and shame, and he crucified it on the cross. And in the life and in the death and now the resurrection of, of Jesus comes that he not only identifies with our tears, but he makes a way for us to one day experience a time when, when tears and hurt are totally wiped away. Jesus gives us hope, not not just for today, but for the end of days. And in that, this is why we gather. This is why we gather. We we shout out prayers. we, We shout out praises. We come together to say that we are a people of God, who invite others to come in and be the people of God so that we can experience the love, the joy, and even the pain of God and God's people. And so I don't know if you guys are, this is 
something you guys have been going through, whether, whether the, the year of COVID or, or school or, or whatnot. Maybe some of you are in that pit. Maybe some of you guys have never been in that pit before or, or every time you, you get close, if you're like me, like I'm, I am not, I'm an optimist and everything. And so when I get close to the pit, my thing is like, I'm going to stuff these feelings down and I'm not going to feel them. We, if you've lived life long enough and you've done that enough times, you know that is not a good way to deal with things because they eventually all come out and it's not pretty. But I want to encourage you guys, whether, whether you're in the pit or the, the pit is coming or, or whatnot, is to take a look at this book, to read through this book and let the book read you. Let the words of Jeremiah be your words. Let the, his cries be your cries. And to know that there is a God who sees and identifies with everything you're going through, everything you will ever go through. And he invites you to share in this relationship where he will be your portion each and every day. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you were not um, just up there far off in the distance, like looking down and like, hey, figure this out, man. Yeah, I know this sucks, but you get down, you got down in the mess and the muck of the world, and you experienced it all with us and for us. What a good God you are, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.